Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Charlotte Readers Podcast is also supported by the novel Deadly Declarations, available in print and audiobook wherever books are sold, and an ebook on Amazon Kindle. Written by Landis Wade and narrated by Bill A. Jones, Deadly Declarations is a light-hearted legal thriller that delves into a 250-year-old colonial mystery that Founding Father John Adams called one of the greatest curiosities and one of the deepest mysteries that ever occurred to him. For reviews and information about Deadly Declarations, please visit LandisWade.com. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode 295, we're going to have something very different. With some advanced technology and a little magic, I figured out a way to interview a few characters from my recently released novel, Deadly Declarations. And because my novel, Deadly Declarations, involves characters who attempt to solve the mystery of the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, and because the Mech Deck Day is just a few days away on May 20th, this seemed like the perfect time to do these interviews. I have to tell you, I'm I'm not really sure how this is going to go. I've never spoken with one of my characters, except, of course, in my mind as I was writing this novel. And I'm a little unsure what they're going to say to me and how they're going to act. But this magic technology was just too good to pass up. And like any good reader or writer, I was curious. Curious enough, in fact, to take my chances. So before we get started, I should tell you that Daily Declaration is now available in the world in print and audiobook wherever those books are sold and an ebook on Amazon Kindle, meaning that no matter what my characters say to me today, this book is done. It's finished. I am not changing it. Now, for all things Charlotte's Podcast, check out charlotte'spodcast.com. And for all things about my writing, check out landisway.com. And hey, please follow me on BookBub, Goodreads, and my author, Landis Wade Facebook page. I also encourage you to check out Libro.fm for your audiobooks. It's, it's a place where you can support independent bookstores. And if, if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, set up your account, you can get a free audiobook. Hey, and maybe we'll choose Daily Declarations as that free audiobook. But enough of this prologue. Uh, let's let's get to these conversations. Now, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to make uh, a couple of phone calls. My first call is going to go to uh, Jaeger Alexander. Let me see if I can get this uh, set up here. All right, now, he's the character who learns the professor had died in the opening pages of the book. He's a colorful guy, 75 years old, came to live with Indy when he was 55, take care of his mother, stayed after she died. He liked... Joe Yeager Alexander, how can I help you? Hey, Yeager, this is Landis Wade. I know who you are, Arthur Wade. It's about time you called me. I've got a question for you about your book. The one I'm in? Well, hey, Yeager, I'm happy to answer. But first, I just kind of wanted to check on... You see how things are going for you at the Independence Retirement Community. Never a dull moment at the Indy, Author Wade. Just the other day, Peaches, our activities director, created a beer tasting club, at my suggestion, I might add, and it seems our residents don't know the meaning of tasting. We ran out of beer in the first 10 minutes, and then the fun began. 
Have you ever heard that song, Tequila Makes Your Clothes Fall Off? I never thought beer could do the same thing. Hey, maybe you could put this story in the next book. It all started when I got a call. Jaeger, Jaeger, thanks for that. I'll think about that. I appreciate that. But let me ask you this. Were Craig Travail and Harry Keaton at the party? Now, what do you think, author Wade? You created them. You made them up. Yeah, you're right. Not really their style. Hey, anyway, I did want to ask you what you thought of the book and the parts I wrote for you. I'm a slow reader. I I only know what happened in about the first half of the book, but hey, so far, I hate to tell you this, I'm disappointed in you, because every other character you created who isn't dead thinks I'm crazy when I tell them the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence was real. Well, yeah, you're lucky. You shouldn't really blame others. I mean, after all, there is no solid evidence that the first American Declaration of Independence was signed in Charlotte on May 20th, 1775. No evidence? No, how? How about the fact the professor was killed because of the mech deck? What more proof do you need? Well, what does Craig Travail, your new lawyer friend, think about that theory? He doesn't want to be at the Indy, and he has no patience when it comes to me talking about the mech deck. Fact is, he's still struggling with the loss of his wife. It also didn't help that you made him lose all those legal cases and got him kicked out of his big law firm at age 65 when he didn't know what else to do with his, li- with his life. You really put him in a bad place at the beginning of this book. Well, well, Jaeger, that's why I created you, to look after him. Well, I thought I was supposed to solve a murder and prove the mech deck was real. Well, that too. <laughs> you know, I've got a question for you, Arthur Wade. Uh, why'd you have the professor sign that one-page will and give all his money to Sue Ellen Parker, of all people? That wasn't a nice thing of you to do to Lori, the professor's granddaughter. Hey, any chance you can take that part out? Uh, Jaeger, look, the book is is finished. And by the way, it's just part of the plot. Plus, think about it. The handwritten will giving the professor his $50 million fortune to the most despised resident, the Indy, gave you a reason to become friends with Craig Travail and encourage him to get involved. And it gave him something to do when you convinced him to challenge the will. It seems like a pretty roundabout way to solve a mystery, if you ask me. Well, Jaeger, look, it's not a short story. It's a novel. (laughs) Sounds like author talk to me. Hey, just give it to me straight. What do I need to do to solve the mystery and get everyone to believe the mech deck was real? You just keep being you, Jaeger, and it will all come together eventually. Good luck to you. Well, luck to you too, author Wade. Hope you sell lots of books. Well, that was interesting. Uh, I think I'll give Craig Travail a call next. Now, Craig Travail is the 65-year-old lawyer who thinks his life is over when he has to move into the Indy, and he thinks retirement community living is like having one foot in the grave with nothing to do in the meantime. Uh-oh, wait a minute. I think I dialed the wrong number. Well, well, if it isn't Landis Weed, the has-been once-upon-a-time lawyer who thinks he can be an author. I'm glad you called. Robert Elkin. Look, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I just dialed the wrong number. I, I really won't take up any more of your valuable time. Oh, no, you don't. You wrote me into this book of yours, and you will hear me out. Did I do something to upset you? <laughs> I don't like the way you portray me in the book. Well, you are, in fact, the antagonist. But running a law firm like a business is not evil. And Craig Travail was a relic who deserved to be put on the street. 
you make me appear greedy and selfish. And as for the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, there are good reasons for ensuring that secret never comes to light. How far have you read in the book? Far enough to know I will win this fight. It will not end well for Craig Travail and his friends at that retirement farm they live on. I would suggest that you keep reading. Is that a threat? Look, it's not as if you don't put up a good fight, Robert. Uh, for a while there, I wasn't sure how Travail, Yeager, and Harriet would fare against you and your associates. Let me make one thing clear to you, Landis Wade. If things don't go my way in this book, I will use the legal and political power I have that comes with running one of the largest law firms in the United States to quash you and your book. But look on the bright side. You'll be able to experience one more new thing in your little lawyer-turned-author act three. It's called bankruptcy court. Do I make myself clear? Uh, very much so, Robert. Uh, and as I said, keep reading. There are lots of twists and turns. You just you just never know how things might turn out. Hey, look, sorry I doubted you. Uh, good talking. Have a nice day. Well, that figures. Uh, typical behavior by the man who believes that uh, Thomas Jefferson was a saint uh, and uh, does everything necessary in this book to try to protect Jefferson's secret and his reputation. All right. Well, look, uh, I think it's time I dialed the right number here for Craig Treville. Let me see if I can see if I can make that work here. As I mentioned, you know, Craig Treville, he's now in the retirement community. He was a trial lawyer for many years in the big law firm. Uh, he's kind of lost when the book opens. Robert Elkin took care of that. Hello? Craig, this is Landis Wade, the author of the book Deadly Declarations. I'm glad you called. I've been meaning to call you to let you know that I have a concern about the title of your book. Oh, what's the problem? Do you really think the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, a, a local legend of no significance in the 21st century, could possibly be deadly? So how far have you actually read into the book? I've read far enough to know that Chuck Yeager Alexander thinks like you, and that Harriet Keaton, the smartest of the three of us, is starting to think that uncovering the so-called secret of the mech deck might be dangerous. So you've already read about what happens at the end of the trial? No, no, I haven't gotten through the trial yet. But speaking of the trial, I've read far enough to know that it's going to be hard to win that case. So are you second-guessing your trial strategy? <sighs> it's all I have to work with. Before the professor died, he was the best-selling author of the book An American Hoax, which debunked the story of the mech deck. But then, a few months before he died, he changed his mind and started writing what he called an American truth. But he hadn't found any evidence of the Mechdeck's validity, at least none that we know of. He also loved his granddaughter, and as far as anyone knows, he had no love for Sue Ellen Parker. My strategy is to prove he lacked testamentary capacity for believing in the Mechdeck. So you plan to put the Mechdeck on trial? I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. And and speaking of that, uh, your your adversary and apparently mine too. I spoke with your former managing partner, Robert Elkin, and he threatened me. <laughs> Join the club. Yeah. Hey, look, Craig. I have a question about how you're doing. As I was writing this book, I really wasn't sure how you would handle everything I was throwing at you. How are you doing? 
Well, I'm not happy about living in a retirement community, and I still miss my wife. But I'm staying busy. I have Jaeger and Harry to thank for that. And I have you to thank for creating them. I presume this book has a happy ending, right? Well, that depends. On what? How you, Jaeger, and Harriet handle all the obstacles in your path. <laughs> At least you haven't forgotten how to answer questions like a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, look, look. good luck, Craig Travail, and uh, I, hope, uh, I hope things turn out well for you. All right. Well, uh, that was that was fun um, talking to three of my characters in the book. Uh, I'm going to now dial uh, another number here, and uh, we're going to speak with the narrator of the audio book. Uh, let me get this here. Hold on a second. Yeah, I'm calling uh, the narrator for the audio book, Bill A. Jones. Uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself to you. We're going to share some thoughts and talk about the narration of the audio book. Hello. Bill, this is Landis uh, calling to let you know I spoke with Jaeger and Travail and Robert Elkin by accident. Uh, let me guess. Uh, Jaeger said something like, the mech deck's real, I know it. And Elkin probably said that Craig Travail is a relic, a has-been, right? Yeah, relic was the word Elkin used for Travail. He called me a has-been. And you're right about Jaeger. He is a true believer. What, did you speak with Harriet? No, but I'm confident she's doing her part to keep Jaeger and Travail in line and on task. Well, what can I do for you? Well, first, I just called to say I'm really pleased with the audiobook and also that I'm recording this call. I would appreciate uh, you telling our podcast listeners a little bit about your many talents, uh, including uh, the narrating of audiobooks. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Landis. I, I guess most people know me for my on-camera work. I spent uh, six years recurring on a television show called Glee as newsman Rod Remington, uh, sort of a legend in his own mind, local newscaster. And uh, I was recurring for a while as a character, similar character, uh, not quite so wacky, on a short-lived series called Powerless, uh, which came out of the um, uh, out of the DC Comics universe. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And then I've done a lot of other uh, on-camera things as well. I had a commercial running uh, most recently for Experian with John Cena. I was a game show host. And so I, I do some on-camera work here in Los Angeles, but I've also done um, voiceover work for years. Um, uh, among many things that I've done, um, I'm also the voice of the Razzie Awards for the worst films of the year. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've done that for about uh, 20 years or so. Uh, and, uh, oh, and lots of commercials and things like that. And then for years I was working as a radio personality part-time, uh, while I was out here and, uh, that ended a, a few years back, uh, when the, uh, the network got rid of me and about 25 other people all at once. Uh, and I was heard around the country on radio stations, uh, basically as a disc jockey playing Frank Sinatra kind of music. So, uh, I, I'm sort of the Swiss army knife of talents. So I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of uh, Frank Sinatra music, you're also a crooner yourself. I, I, uh, do. I, I work with several, uh, 17 piece big bands, uh, out here and, um, uh, singing, you know, the Sinatra standards and Bobby Darin uh, songs and uh, all of that. It's it's a joy for me. It lifts my spirit and uh, uh, and I enjoy it immensely. You did leave off one thing in your resume that you, you got uh, the opportunity to do the narration of the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. You know? Oh, I love your three <laughs> books. Those are great. And if and if uh, any of the listeners have not uh, listened to those or or read them, as the case might be, I highly recommend them. Um, 
great characters that you've written and very fun, joyful stories uh, at the end, uh, you know, nicely wrapped up in a bow. It's, it's sort of appropriate since it's the Christmas <laughs> season we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I think they're a good read any time of the year. Sometimes we need a little Christmas to borrow the lyric from uh, Jerry Herman and the, and the musical Mame. We need a little Christmas. Sometimes we need a little Christmas in the middle of the year. So uh, highly recommend those. Highly recommend those. I, 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 I'll be honest with you, Landis. I'm waiting for those to get turned into a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> At which point, I want you to uh, to try to put out a good word for the producers to hire me for something. Yeah, yeah. We, we, there's some some great parts you could play. You want to be an evil doer? You want to be a good guy? Oh, I, I think it might be fun to be an evil doer this time around. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be fun. Uh, well, yeah. So um, that was a lot of fun. You and I met uh, on the ACX platform, which is a subsidiary of Audible. It's uh, how you can produce your own audiobooks. You you came on and I found you and we found each other and we did those books together through that platform. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years passed, uh, in terms of me finishing this next book. And I came back and I said, let's, let's do this again. Are you game? So this is a little bit different, uh, book for you this time around, uh, the deadly declarations and what you did for me before. Yeah, this is uh, deadly declarations. It's, it's, I think it's uh, described, you may have described it as sort of a lighthearted legal thriller, but it definitely uh, has some thrilling moments uh, in which the characters are put into jeopardy. I don't want to give too much away for, for folks who uh, have not read the book or listened to the book as the case might be yet. Um, but a lot of fun and uh, some interesting characters, fun for me to, uh, to voice, uh, you know, everyone heard a little sample of, uh, of Jaeger Alexander, uh, earlier and, uh, and I, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, Robert Elkin, uh, basically I was inspired a little bit talking about Christmas, uh, the Christmas perennial movie, uh, it's a wonderful life. You exactly. Mean- that, that we didn't talk about this either. And I yeah. told somebody the other day, I said, you got to listen to what he did with Robert Elkin because it sounds a lot like Potter in yes, It's a, a Wonderful Life. That's who inspired me. And I figured I would just go with that. And it seemed to work for him. I mean, you know, he's not a young man at this point. I mean, um, uh, and I don't want to talk about um, uh, his father or anything like that, but he's not a young man at this point. And so he's got a little bit of age in his voice, but also just it radiates that sort of evil, mean-spirited <laughs> uh, kind of a thing. And so, you know, I, when I'm doing a voice uh, for audiobooks, oftentimes I'll steal from, you know, popular characters uh, in, you know, in our lifetimes. And so that was inspired definitely by Lionel Barrymore. <laughs> so. Okay, yeah, that's, no, that was great. I, I love that connection. And, you know, in this book also, um, <laughs> whereas we were dealing with elves and, and the trilogy, here we're dealing with some quirky characters in a retirement community and you had the opportunity to do uh someone who went by the uh, nickname the godfather you had uh the gossip queen you had uh several other characters who just had their own that one and you want to know what my favorite character is my favorite favorite character character. it's not a hugely large character in the scope of the book but he was my favorite to do and it was uh the judge roscoe chaw brady uh because (laughs) He's, you know, spitting tobacco in, in, in the courtroom, right. you know, Chaw Brady. And uh, uh, and I sort of put a little imaginary Chaw in my, in my jaw here like that. And, of course, he's from the South originally, and he's chewing some red man. And so uh, it's 
and it's done literally by manipulating your face. Uh, I don't know if you remember the the cartoon with uh, I think it was Droopy Dog, and and uh, literally I've seen guys grab their their cheeks and sort of sweat them out, and they become Droopy Dog. This kind of a thing. So with with, with Judge Roscoe Chaw Brady, I just sort of struck a little chaw over on the side there, and and he did what he did, and so that's how I came up with it. But I loved. Shaw Brady. That was, that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Je- Jennifer Tripp, who helps me, was helping me with the proofing. She said, Landis, how did he do that? that sound, it sounded like he was chewing tobacco when he did that <laughs> Did that character. <laughs> many, many years ago, I portrayed a character in a stage play called Back County Crimes, uh, who was this guy in overalls and sort of dirty and, you know, and he chewed tobacco. And this was back in my college days. And so I decided to, since he was a a chewer of tobacco, I decided to try uh, chewing tobacco. And once was enough. Uh, <laughs> it is not my thing. Sorry. It's, if you if someone's listening and chews tobacco and enjoys it, I'm sorry. It's nasty. And it's just not my thing. But uh, it gave me an idea of how to sort of stick that in the, in the side of your mouth and, and, and do chaw Brady. So uh, yeah. So I did have experience, a little bit of experience with uh, the red man's phenomenon. Yeah. And before we wrap up, I just thought it might be interesting to some of our listeners uh, as to how audiobooks get made. Uh, this time you and I just, you know, kind of worked offline from ACX and we did it uh, over, you know, I would send you the material, the mm-hmm. of course, the book itself. You would send uh, me chapters that you had done and we would kind of listen and so forth. And then I'm putting it up on Facebook find away voices and distributing it widely this time we're going on that platform but yet talk a little bit um you know from the narrator's perspective about what uh how authors can help narrators you know do their jobs effectively uh well first of all landis um i have to throw some praise your way because you are involved um in the process of doing this, you gave me character descriptions of just about every character. We had a discussion about the the different characters. I, I gave you a little sample of my thoughts on each of them. Uh, and in one case, you sort of gave me a, a very good tweak that headed me down the right road uh, with Jaeger, I think it was in particular. Uh, whereas some authors, they'll just send the script and they expect you to do it. And then you send it back and they say yes or no. And uh, the process is is similar. What we did this time around is what you do with ACX or with Find Away Voices and what have you. On the ACX Audible uh, platform, um, you're dealing with sort of a, an electronic intermediary between the rights holder, or in your case, you are the rights holder, the author, uh, and the narrator, who is not just a narrator, but is a producer of the audiobook. Now, when you get to really, really high-level audiobooks, uh, there literally is a producer, someone who may uh, be the recordist in the studio for someone who's at the microphone, and then they take the raw narration, edit out all the uh, fumfers and, and fix the mispronunciations and the retakes, uh, and then they have to do audio tweaks to it to make uh, everything work, and then they upload to a specific uh, portal at ACX. You and I... It was a similar process um, uh, as what we did before when we worked with the ACX uh, platform and that uh, I send off a, a sample and 
you send back, yes, that works or no, try it again, do it this way. And then after that is uh, okay, then I go on to uh, narrate the entire thing. Uh, instead of uploading that portal, I sent uh, a web link to those files for you to review. But just like with ACX, there's about two levels of review uh, that is done by the rights holder. And then, uh, you know, you correct those as the uh, narrator producer and send them back and, and you know, put everything in the, the right kind of digital package with the right audio compression and uh, the peaks at negative 3 dB and uh, <laughs> a noise yeah. floor uh, less than 60 dB, negative 60 dB, you know, all of those different technical things that you have to do. So that's that may be a little bit more than what your readers and, and listeners might have wanted to hear, but that's, that's yeah, that, the process. No, that's good. I was just going to share uh, here with the listeners who might be with a small press, uh, traditional press, who you don't want to maintain the rights to the audiobook or they're independently published. It, um, this is something that can be done. And, and the way that uh, we work together, Bill, is nice that you gave us a spreadsheet that gave us the kind of feedback uh, you wanted to get. That is, was there a missing word? Was there a missing pronunciation? You know, was there, you know, you gave us four or five things, uh, mm -hmm. diction, I think it was. And then, so from my perspective and the tip I would share is that, uh, if you're the author producing this, hire somebody to be your proofer to listen for the actual text. So you can just listen for whether the author falls out of voice. There was only like one or two times in this whole 10 hour audiobook. I think I sent you something that said, I think in this one spot, you fell out of voice just for a second or something, or it sounded more like another. And, you know, when you're doing yeah. as many hours and as that, you're doing, yeah, Bill, yeah, that, that can happen, happen, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I misread uh, which character that was. And uh, right. I did That's it right. in a different yeah. character's voice. Uh, That's right. The, yeah. the, and I think it was something involving uh, Chaw Brady, actually, as I think about it. Uh, and I, and actually it was supposed to be Elkin instead of Chaw and whatever. Uh, and, and the idea of a proofer, it's, it's very helpful as a producer, I listen and I proof, but I'm liable to miss something. Sure. And, and so it's incumbent upon the rights holder to make sure that it's okay, that it's right, that uh, everything works well for them before uh, they get final approval. And um, it, it's a process, a collaborative process. Yeah. And one of the final things I want to talk about here on the narration side is, you know, this is a Southern story. It's set in Charlotte, New South Southern. It could be people that are, you know, coming in from other places. So they don't all have Southern accents. We talked about whether to use Southern accents. We talked about what to do with female voices. And I think it was more a decision of let's not try too hard there because sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to get it right. And somebody's going to say, well, that's not how they talk down here or whatever. What's your experience in trying to do, uh, voices that are unique to a region and the risk that if you get them wrong, it can affect the overall, you know, yeah, production. it can. Um, I'm fortunate in that I am from the South originally right. I'm from right. uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And so I can sort of click into that place pretty <laughs> easily and, and be pretty authentic in the sound of it. Uh, although different areas of the South have a different you know, accent. Right. Most people sort of lump it all into one sort of Georgian accent. That that sort of Jimmy Carter kind of thick thing, <laughs> and and that's not correct for you know various areas. Uh, so I try to stay away from accents that I don't have firmly in my grasp. Um, uh, I, I had looked at doing a, a thing that was set in Scotland for a while, 
in Scottish accent you can do, and I can do those accents for you know for a while on a short term basis. You you sort of have this sort of stopping kind of thing, and you know it's it's similar to Irish. Irish is more lyrical, uh, uh, more of a musical thing, and then Scottish is more stopping burr and this kind of a thing. You know, if you watch Highland, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I, I sort of shy away from that. And I actually ended up not going down the road with that particular book, uh, because I wasn't really comfortable with doing that on a long-term basis. It's one thing doing a, a paragraph or two or a brief interjection from someone. Um, but uh, you, you don't, you want to be authentic, uh, because you're yeah. right. People will say, that's not the way people talk. So, so uh, and, and, you know, I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah, and it's cha- you know it's changed in different people. You know, like I remember, <laughs> there's stereotypes that can develop too. I remember they filmed Days of Thunder here, and the and the movie opens up, and they've got this scene of a barn, and underneath it, the, the words pop up Charlotte, North Carolina. Now this is like <laughs> in the 1990s. Well, that's not you know, exactly. That might be what it looked like next to the speedway, but uh, <laughs> not not so much uh, Charlotte itself. And so. You know, yeah. Sometimes particular accents, uh, although they might be seen stereotypically as southern, they don't always match up when you're when you're in the city like that. Uh, I actually think sometimes it's the pace, and we talked about this slowing the voice down. Yeah, I think makes a difference. And and doing that, which you did in the book, as much as anything, indicates that you're not rapid fire. It reminds me when I was in bankruptcy court one time up in New Jersey. Uh, I guess Elkin knew about that because he threatened me with that experience again. <laughs> but I was arguing a case for somebody else, not me. And the judge said, uh, now, Mr. Wade, um, sorry to interrupt you here, but you're going to have to speed it up. We just don't have all day. <laughs> and it's like they weren't used to the slow talking uh, Southerner. So I think pace is important, too. So I thank you for all that. Well, thank you. I uh, It's a challenge at times for me with pace because – the narrating pace <clears throat> for me, and I, I tend to narrate a little bit faster than a lot of audiobook uh, narrators. Uh, uh, there's a thing that I did. Uh, there's a term I learned in radio many years ago called forward momentum. The idea of keeping a forward momentum. Uh, and it's not just keeping listeners' attention, but it's trying to keep that ball moving down the field. Uh, and and doing that, I I tend to move along. You know, I, I tend to. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to speak very slowly and deliberately about. And yes, he said, I'm not. That, that's not me. Right, and I right. think you've probably yeah. heard a few things like that. Not yeah. to cast any aspersions. Uh, I tend to move past those things. Um, but when you're moving at that speed, and then suddenly uh, you you go to a, a character who needs to be slower, sometimes. Uh, I have to go back and catch myself and redo. And I, and my process, my editing process, uh, I sort of am meticulous. I ended up, you know, revoicing a couple of things because I was just going way too fast, <laughs> way too well, fast. And that happens in court sometimes too. If a lawyer's talking too fast and happened to me before, even though the, what was, what was fast uh, in Charlotte was really still too slow in New Jersey, but uh, you know, they'd stop, they'd say, slow down. We got to get everything you're saying here. Um, so anyway, look, Bill, I really want to uh, thank you for uh, narrating uh, my fourth book, uh, my first full length novel. And uh, it was a pleasure once again to work with you and, uh, it's just been great. It's been my pleasure, uh, Landis, and I, I urge everyone to to buy a copy, to buy multiple copies of Deadly Declarations. <laughs> uh, they make great Christmas gifts, uh, along with the uh, courtroom uh, Christmas trilogy, 
And, and of course, you can always listen to the audio book on all of your favorite uh, platforms. So, <laughs> and, and if you're an author out there, yes, I can be had. So Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Go, go uh, look him up. Bill A. Jones uh, on the internet there. Get, give us the website, Bill. Oh, BillAJones.com. And that'll that's steer nice, you right? to pretty much everything you need to know. Yeah. And there's some fun clips on there that you've got from your time as Ron Remington, uh, on Glee and everything. So yeah, this, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Now, before I leave you, I've got two clips. They're both just uh, about a minute long. Uh, I'm going to play those for you at the end here. The first one uh, is a little scene. Congressman Walter Butterworth is uh, uh, speaking with lawyer Robert Elkin on the phone. It's, uh, it's in the chapter entitled Elkin's Strategy Changes. So let's listen to that, and then I have one more to share with you. Robert, I don't know what kind of game you're playing. Nonsense, Walter. We play for the same team on the same field and with the same rules. He wondered which of the two issues Butterworth would bring up first, the one that mattered to Butterworth or the one that mattered to the board. Butterworth pretended to care about the bigger picture. Did Matthew Collins back down? Elkin thought of his recent conversation with the professor, the professor's timely demise, his phone call with Sue Ellen Parker, and how everything was coming together nicely. Our strategy has changed. Damn it, Robert, I'm in charge, not you. I say whether the strategy changes. Elkin enjoyed this part of being the fixer, having the ability to put people like Walter Butterworth in their place. You forget who gets you re-elected every two years, Congressman. And you forget the director appointed me, not you, to take care of the problem of the professor's manuscript. Your job is funding. You are not in charge of operations. You can offer your opinion, like how to proceed against Lori Collins, but I make the call. If you don't like what I decide, you can hire a second-rate law firm to represent you. I hope you enjoyed that one here. Just another quick clip. This is uh, where Travail, Craig Travail, the lawyer ends up in the retirement community, the independence retirement community, meets Chuck Yeager Alexander for the first time and Harriet Keaton by Freedom Lake. It's a little scene uh, after Yeager's already fired his gun at some uh, trout, uh, dove in, brought him back to the bank, and uh, Harriet is uh, hell-bent to find out what's going on. So this will be the last clip uh, I'll play for you. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, as as I said, uh, look forward to seeing you on the uh, riding trail, and thanks for listening. Travail whispered to Yeager as they waited. Your parents named you Chuck Yeager? Man broke the sound barrier in 1947, the day I was born. Mom said I was louder than he was. Travail looked up to see Harriet Keaton standing three paces away with her arms crossed. Are you two getting your story straight? Good afternoon, Harriet. Yeager didn't seem fazed by his accuser's brusque tone. Harriet wore a blue v-neck sweater over a white blouse tucked into brown denim jeans. She looked at Travail in a way that invited him to introduce himself. I'm Craig Travail. Yeager put his wet hand on Travail's shoulder. My new neighbor. This was more intimacy than Travail wanted from a man who swims with the fishes. My condolences for having to live next door to our version of Little Big Man. Travail racked his brain for where he'd heard the name Little Big Man. 
She's just joshing you, Craig Travail. Now, he remembered, Little Big Man was a movie in which Dustin Hoffman played 121-year-old Jack Crabb, a man with remarkable but hard-to-believe life story set in the great American West. Crabb comically stumbled from one occupation to the next. Do you see the resemblance? Harriet extended her right arm and turned her forefinger into a motion as if circling Jaeger's body. What am I looking for? A man with crazy ideas who can't stay focused on one long enough to finish a job. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.